Introducing Spectacle, the ultimate eyewear experience. We offer a carefully curated collection of logo-free frames, so the focus is on you. We're located at 505 Tremont Street in Boston's historic South End neighborhood. Keep in mind that we only look expensive. Hope to see you soon, and enjoy the day. Baby Loves Tacos proudly supports the Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico podcast. Since 2016, we've been serving soulful whole Mexican style food out of a tiny storefront, 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh. Um, we believe in supporting the arts, community-based initiatives, and podcasts like Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico because uh, they add a richness and vibrancy to our lives, uh, help to connect people, build community, and uh, demonstrate that following your, your dreams and your passions and holding on to relationships and spreading the love and support that we hear so much about on the podcast uh, is, is really the only way to combat um, the ever-changing world where big businesses and corporations are uh, squeezing out the small guy. So if you haven't already subscribed, if you don't support via Patreon um, or any of the other platforms, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's a real privilege to listen to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico, and it's a privilege to, to hear the stories about um, you know, Steve's experiences with many bands, uh, promoting, managing, and the really awesome stories from his guests. Something I look forward to every week, sometimes twice a week. And, um, you know, my life would be very different if I didn't have Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico to look forward to. All right, take care. I want to tell you about Joe's albums in their two locations. The original shop at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location at 5 Market Street in the college hipster town of Northampton on Western Massachusetts. These are two amazing stores to go buy vinyl, both new and used, and a lot of other cool stuff too. It's hard to walk in either locale without walking out empty-handed due to their amazing collection of records and other cool goodies like t-shirts, mugs, posters, etc. And if you can't find what you're looking for in the retail shops, check out joesalbums.com. They got everything there, man. Everything. Well, maybe not everything, but almost everything. Joe's albums. We love them and you will too. Check out Joe's stores and tell them Twisted Rico sent you.
Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. The track you just heard to get things rolling was called Private Jet from Rockin' Bob Punk Band, a.k.a. Bob Sensi. Uh, why not call the band what it is, right? You might know Bob as the guitarist of the great Jerry's Kids, and also for a time he played with Gangrene as well, and he's done a lot of, lot of other projects ever since then. He's never stopped playing uh, all different styles, man. Bob's a great guitar player. Now, I know it seems like we have spent a lot of time talking to the Jerry's Kids family lately, and it wasn't all planned to happen that way. There were scheduling conflicts, etc. It only looks like we just talked to the Jerry's Kids guys. We also had some technical difficulties. The interview, which you're hearing today, was actually recorded before I sat down with Chris Doherty and Brian Jones. So things got a little bit out of order, but it's all entertainment, right? And you know what? The fact that all these guys went to high school together, and in some cases, like Rick Jones and Bob Sensi, great school is really interesting in the scheme of things in the history of American hardcore punk, which all of them played such a key role. Okay, so now I'm glad I cleared that up. Honestly, I don't know what it is, but this heat wave that we're going through has definitely gotten into my brain. The weather absolutely sucks in New England. It has sucked for a while pretty much always sucked. It's like being in Florida and no thanks to that. I do have a trip coming up in September to California, Los Angeles, which cannot happen soon enough. Okay, okay, Steve, enough. Let's get to Bob Sensi. Uh, this interview with Bob has a break in the middle, but we pick it up pretty close to where we left off. Once again, there was a little technical problem, but I think we sorted it all out. So here I am talking with the great guitarist, one of the fastest ever, Mr. Rockin' Bob Sensi. Oh, Rockin' Bob, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your new stuff, but I wanted to go back first because I learned a lot about Braintree and Braintree High School, <laughs> talking to various people, uh, you know, like Chris Wait, do, you want, do you want to go back before I was born? Because I don't remember that very well. <laughs> no, let's just start with you. Like, you grew up in Braintree, right? Yes. So did you start playing at an early age? I wanted a guitar when I was like 15, 14 years old. So I got one for Christmas and a, a little uh, like student acoustic, I call it. And my mother's like, yeah, you should take lessons. And I'm like, no, I'm going to teach myself. And that nothing ever came of that. And then around age 17, I started taking le lessons and I got my first electric guitar. And um, when you were in school, right, with like, I correct me if I'm wrong here, you and Rick were in the same grade because I know that Brian was a freshman when Rick was a senior. Were you also a senior or were you younger than Rick? No, me and Rick, I've known Rick since fourth grade. Fourth grade. And you and you also had the gangrene guys going to school with you too, right? Yeah. So in fourth grade, me and Rick didn't know each other, but we were in band together. I played the snare drum and he played the trumpet. And nice. At one of the school concerts, he did like a solo thing and he totally choked. And I'm like, wow, this, this guy's great. <laughs> so you guys stayed friends all through uh, well, middle the, the, the next, The next, the following year, we um, 
just by chance, we were sitting next to each other in fifth grade. So that's when we got to know each other. Wow. And you've been friends ever since. That's incredible. So what was Braintree High School like? Because it's almost like Hollywood High School of the East with all these punk rock kids that all went to the same school. It's like pretty cool. It must have been pretty interesting for you guys. Yeah, I think, you know, there wasn't Internet, so people were born to music. And um, my neighbor, the McDonald's, they were all into music, like Stephen and Doug McDonald. Doug still plays. But anyway, Chris Doherty and Bill Manley and Mike Dean were in a band with the McDonald's. I forget the names of the bands they had. And they were just doing covers, and they were playing out all the time. And I think that's probably where I got the idea, like, oh, I play guitar, maybe I should try to start a band. And um, I remember talking to Rick saying, Rick, I think this is before I got on electric. I was like, Rick, if I, I, I didn't know that much about guitars. And I'm like, Rick, if I get a rhythm guitar, will you get a bass guitar and we'll learn, learn how to play? He's like, yes. He's like, yes. If you get a rhythm guitar, I'll get a bass guitar. <laughs> so as if, you know, the lead guitar is a separate instrument, you know, like so that's how naive I was. So, so we both got the same type of amps and another friend of ours was jamming with us as well. And these were the the crate, uh, the, like the first release of the crate amps. I think they were called like CR1s or CR2s. It's just like a wooden crate. And we just, our sound was, we just turned everything all the way up and mm -hmm. blasted away in the garage. We didn't know what we were doing, but um, we were into, um, Got kind of we got kind of tired of listening to what everyone in our grade was listening to, like Bruce Springsteen and Van Halen and stuff. So we were looking for something different. So um, we both worked at the IHOP, and there were these two cooks that would we we blast in punk rock, like anything like from England to Boston to California, like. Any punk that was going on from the mid seventies to the early eighties, so we were exposed to alternative music that way, and then we heard about these radio shows like ERS and um, MBR, and so we we'd hear about all these um, shows and and bands and stuff. So we found that that interesting. Um, we're both big fans of La Peste. We never saw them. We only heard about them, but you know, we were still teenagers. But anyway, we heard all the stories from the two cooks at um, the IHOP, Charlie and Jerry. So, so um, when did you start? Like, you guys start buying records, or you know, like, was it? I think Rick said that that he would start getting like maybe some English punk bands and stuff, and then you guys would all start listening to these things and that's when the gang green guys were around and how, how did that all come together where you decided well we're going to form a band and then you've got brian into the whole mix and bob well if you start with the buying records we were just buying like regular records like boston you know <laughs> and we'd go back and me and rick would go back and forth oh i got this album what do you think about it I, oh i got this so i remember i got i think i got foreigner seeing double and i'm like Hey Rick, what do you think about this album? Foreign, <laughs> C, C and W. He's like, 
there was like no response. That's when he started buying other stuff. So he was naming all these um, bands. I can't think of them right now. Like, you know, Exploited, GBH, Discharge. So, yeah, once he started hearing that stuff, it was, I kind of was interested. Oh, our common thread was Iggy Pop. We were both into Iggy. Mm-hmm. So we were like into regular music, and then we started getting into like Iggy and the Ramones. And um, so, yeah, Rick and Brian, his brother Brian, especially by by records, tons of records. So, where were you guys rehearsing at that time when you first started playing? Um, when we when I first started playing, me and Rick had a, a like a band called the Insects, and we used to play in my garage. And then um, our drummer left to go to college, and Brian was jamming with Brian Betzka and Dave Aronson, and I think they were calling it Jerry's Kids, and so we just teamed up with them. Wow, all you guys went to school together, huh? Yeah. It's incredible, man. So the names Jerry's Kids was kind of funny to me, because um, I just felt weird saying that to, like, people's moms and stuff. So it's like, Robert, what's your band again? Jerry's <laughs> and she's, she's like, oh, that's very nice. You know, like, I just felt weird. But uh, those, you know, uh, Brian and his friends thought that name was the funniest name ever, so. Had Gang Green already been a, together as a band at that point as well? Yes, it actually, I gave them the name Gang Green because uh, in the late 70s, I was hanging out at a friend's house and we're on CB radios. We thought that was cool. And some guy had a handle. His name was Gang Green. So that was in my mind when I was thinking of band names. I wanted to call our band Gang Green, actually, but um, no one liked it. And so as soon as that name was not going to be used by us, Chris is like, are you going to use that name? Like he was calling me up every every other day. Are you going to use that name? I'm like, uh, no. He's like, can, can I have it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. You can have it, whatever. And that, as soon as that happened, they were spray painting gangrene all over the place, like on telephone poles, on walls, <laughs> you know, like, so. Uh, when did you start playing out as Jerry's Kids? I mean, do you remember some of your first gigs? We played with a band from Quincy called The Incinerators, and it was like a basement type show. It was, a, you know, it was combination party, basement punk show and brian actually sang for that one and that's when brian became the singer yes and he was like 14 (laughs) so oftentimes we'd have a show and brian was unable to play and you might see some early pictures of us playing at cantones that was like our first like boston show we had paul fox singing that's a friend of ours. He owns- wow, from Spectacle Eyewear? Really? Yes. yes. Wow. Did he go to Braintree High School too? He's from South Quincy. Yeah, because didn't he go to school with like the, the Bartons and Springer and all those guys? Didn't they all go to Quincy? Yes. Yeah. Which is the next town over for people around the world <laughs> listening right now? Quincy, South yeah. Shore, kind of. Yeah. So, um, I can't remember what those the Jones brothers told me, but what are your recollections of how the whole thing came together where 
the Mike Drees and John Brusker asked you guys to be on This Is Boston, Not L.A.? Um, okay, so you're jumping ahead a little bit. I want to connect what you're saying with... Um, Please do. We, like, we got to know the kids from Quincy. Like, we got to know Springer and uh, Jay Johnson. Okay. And... Jerry's kids in Gang Green played in my basement once, and uh, both Springer and uh, Jay Johnson were there. So when we got to know Springer, that got us thinking about playing in Boston and the Gallery East, and we heard about SSD, and we heard about skinheads. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so and then we started playing shows in Boston. I remember we played at like a, a roller skate uh, rink in Cambridge. It was looked like this funky church, but it was actually a roller skating rink. We, we played with Decadence. Um, John Anastasis band. Yes. Yeah. And the media workshop. So I think that Mike Drees and John Brusker from Newbury Comics, they were they caught wind of what was going on. And I remember early article in Boston Rock. The title was "No No Connection to the the Band, uh, New Kids on the Block," and maybe that name was available at that time. Uh, the article came out it was probably in nineteen eighty two. I don't know when New Kids on the Block started, <laughs> but it talked about Gangrene, Jerry's Kids, and the FUs. Wow. Um, and I think it was talking about modern, modern method records, and so we knew we knew about modern modern method from um, the outlets, boy, boys' life single. Yeah, it's a good one. We were big fans of that. Oh, sorry, I'm kind of kicking my table here. So yeah, we were big f- fans of that. So that's the only thing I, I remember them releasing. They might they probably have other stuff, but. And next thing you know, it's uh, this is Boston out of LA. Um, I remember that was we probably recorded at the end of no, at the beginning of the year in 1982. I think it was released in May of the that year. Um, I think it was John Bruska that asked us to partake in recording at Radio Beat. So that session was fun. Was that Lou Giordano? Yes, Lou Giordano uh, producing and Jimmy Dufois, Dubois, Dufois was the engineer. And um, basically the place was three rooms. It had the control room, it had a big studio space, and then it had a space that had like a couch. And in between all those spaces was this little connector room, which had doors on all around it. So when it came to doing the vocals, we had Brian shut all the doors so it was pitch black in there. And, <laughs> and um, so he could get into it and he's he sang both songs. So... It, it was probably hard for you to imagine what an impact that record was going to have, right? <laughs> especially now, years later. Yeah, and I remember making suggestions, and they listened to suggestions. Like, I suggested that we print out the lyrics, and we put people's names, whoever wrote the song. And um, 
they wanted some sort of graphic for the back. So Rick had this, they liked Rick's picture of a stick figure with a cloud above it that says authority, like a lightning bolt is coming down. So, so they made it, um, it wasn't a record company putting out a record. It was, okay, you guys are doing this. And we had some input to it, you know, to the release. So that was nice. And uh, did had you heard the freeze at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing about them playing the Gallery East. And um, I guess I consider them more of like a punk band. Right. And I think we heard about the freeze when from working at the IHOP from um, Charlie and Jerry as well. So, yeah, they had stuff out too. I think before, this is Boston, LA. Um, you know, when I had Al Barill on the show, he said that he wished that SSD was as good and fast as Jerry's kids in gangrene. How does that make you feel hearing Al say something like that? Um, I can understand that because, you know, when... It's as soon as Chris Doherty started spray painting gangrene all over the place, they were getting all the attention. So I was like, we got to do something. So, and then they were playing really fast. And I remember Chris Doherty calling me up. He's like, Bob, you know, like we trade riffs over the phone. And, you know, these are just like regular punk riffs. And then one day it's like, it is like so fast. All you hear is the pick going against the strings. <laughs> It was, he was playing the riff to snob. So, um, yeah, they got really fast. And I was like, we got to do something. We got to speed up. So I <laughs> consciously asked the band to speed up. And um took a little while. Plus, we had some issues with Brian leaving the band. And um, we didn't know if we should get a singer, if we should get a bass player and Rick sings, or we're, we're trying different things. So um, I remember trying out bass players that didn't work out. I remember trying out a singer that would, um, he'd read the lyrics like, a, like with no connection to the music. And he was like a, an auctioneer. He was like, <laughs> so like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know? But we found a singer, um, Joe, Orangio, and um, he was pretty intense performer. And so we had some songs that we were working on, playing on recording, but we did a couple shows with him. And um, then we just like listened to how things sounded in the studio, and we kind of wanted to keep that Jones type voice. So that's why how Rick became the bass player singer. So somewhere around around that point after this is Boston LA gangrene like broke up and then Chris ended up playing with you guys which seemed like a natural progression and and is is this my world you know is regarded as one of the best hardcore records ever made uh do you remember how Chris got in the mix and do you remember what it was like making that record cuz that record is just brilliant i mean everyone it seems to agree it's one of the best you know from that era yeah, I'm on. I'm honored to be on it and hear hear people say that. Uh, it was recorded at Newbury Sound, and they were on 
Newbury Street in the EU Wurlitzer building where Tower Records eventually moved into. And they are they're on the third floor. Um, I don't remember how Chris got in the band. I think Rick suggested we ask Chris. But yeah, Mike Dean, the drummer from Gangrene, went, I, I sound like I'm making rap rhymes here, went off to the, the Marines, you know, <laughs> Mike Dean, Gangrene, the Marines. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I guess Chris uh, was free. And um, so I no longer had to ask people to speed up because he was a pretty fast player. And uh, we kind of prided, pride, pride, prided? We're kind of like um, proud play, guitar players on each end going as fast and as crazy as possible, you know? So we're, I, I call it like the hardcore bookends. You know, that's, it was a great, great lineup. Who do you um, think's faster, you or Chris? <laughs> oh, Chris, all the way. Yeah? Yeah. Did he know. make you play faster to keep up with him at that time? Well, in that recording, it's he's got like this really driving element. Like on Crucify Me, the the chuggy guitar that goes, dun, 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 that's Chris. And it's pretty fast. So um, I, I like learn by doing. I, I pick up on how he's playing and stuff and and it, try to play it just as fast or try to play faster, you know, the little, little competition, you know? So yeah, getting the guitars back, were, were driving everyone to play faster pretty much. I think. Getting back to the making of that record. Did you guys have a good feeling when you were in the studio making that record that it was going to be something special? We had no, no idea. We were just like, um, because we had a recording session prior to that, in the fall of 82 at Radio Beat that we never did anything with. And it's funny, the songs sound kind of in between This Is Boston Out LA and Is This My World, obviously, because it is in between those two periods. And they're kind of cool songs. Um, the material on Is This My World, I think is a lot better. And we have better um, a better lineup. So, um, Did we know that it was going to be a good record? No, we didn't. But uh, we wanted to put out, well, I wanted to put out music. So um, so we got our stuff together and we were going to, we asked Brian Betsky's father if he'd help us release it. And um, he seemed on board and then he said he had other um, investments with his money. So I ended up paying for everything. Um, I, I put it out. I went to New Jersey with Lou Giordano. He was kind enough to drive. We went down to the record plant when it was ready, brought him back, and made them available at shows. I did sell a bunch to distributors uh, when we got to use the name X Claim. So X oh, so they didn't. They didn't actually. Al didn't actually sign you to a record deal. You basically did everything and just used the name. Yes, they. That's that was the trend. That's what the FUs did. Um, Al was kind enough to let people use his brand, 
you know, it's, I guess, you know, it's important to get a, a brand out there so people recognize it like, oh, X claim Boston. Or, oh, another band from Boston. Just to easy, easily make the connection. So yeah, we were, that record was number six. Um, the last one, right? I think there was another one after that. I'm not it sure. It could have been another FU's record. I know there were two FU's records. Two, two FU's, two SSD. And I, I did ask him about the Rock and Bob stuff. And I'm like, hey, can, can I put that out on this claim? He's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. But I, I ended up just doing my own thing. <laughs> um, getting back to Is This, is this My World, uh, so you had no idea that record was going to become as popular. Well, it's actually become more and more popular as time goes on because now people all put it in their top five, top 10 records. And it seems like as time has grown on, it's become more and more famous. Um, Chris eventually went back to gangrene and you guys were probably all cool with that. I mean, the band, you guys ended up doing kill, kill, kill a little later. I mean, when Chris left, it doesn't sound like anyone had any problem with that. It felt like it was just a natural thing that was going to happen. Is that the case, basically? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was kind of bummed out because I, I really enjoyed um, playing with him on stage and stuff. Like, we had we had such great shows. Um, I remember when that record came, when This Is My World came out, we played CBs, and it was so packed, it was... It was like standing on a crowd. Uh, standing on stage was like standing on a crowded bus. I mean, there was no room in the club. Everyone, well, not everyone, but everyone that couldn't be on the floor was on the stage, and I couldn't even move. So, do you remember who was on that bill, by the way, at CBS that you played? Uh, Were there other? Might other have been FUs, FUs, I think. Yeah, you guys played a lot of shows. I was going to ask you about that. You guys played a lot of shows with the FUs. I see a lot of old flyers, and plus that famous Misfits show, you know, that everyone talks about and sees on YouTube. One great one was we opened for Void at Gildersleeves in New York. And um, I still have chills thinking about it because I was <clears throat> in the band just mentally getting prepared for this show. You know, you travel, you get tired and cranky. And I, I just want, I was just like getting ready for the set. And we like exploded on stage. It was one of our great, greatest sets. And I think, you know, we wanted to do well because Void is such a, such a great yeah, band. Yeah. So Void played and I got gypped. They only played two songs because the singer broke his leg. Wow. On this like second or third song, he like broke his leg and they had to stop. <laughs> wow. So their their explosion was more intense. So that show is the one you remember more than the CV show. Oh no, I remember the CV show too. I mean, I I, I and I remember um Misfits and I remember a lot of the shows. Yeah, the show that you guys did in Boston with the FUs and the Misfits, uh, that was like, my God, that must have been like, was that one of the real highlights you think of the band's career? Yeah, those channel shows were great. I mean, there was like a sea of people and uh, people were stage diving and uh, 
you know, people aren't getting out of the way. That happened, happened. Yeah, people are like catching you and keeping you up there. You know, a couple of years after that, people get out of the way and you crash on the floor. <laughs> so. That was not good. Um, I wanted to talk about kill, kill, kill a little bit. I know Rick said that he wasn't very thrilled about the fact that the older tracks got added to that record, but you know, he, he didn't make that big of a fuss about it, but I mean, were you cool with that whole turning into a, like a compilation like that? Yeah. I mean, at the time I thought it was okay because, um, you could do that on a CD. You couldn't do that on an LP. There's not enough room. Right. But on a CD, you you have so much more room to do that, to add, to make it a double, like not a double album, but two albums on one disc. So I saw it as like a way to just get it back out there. Was that Curtis's idea or did you guys come up with that idea? I think me and Curtis kind of were talking about it. You and Curtis came up with it. Now, you mentioned La Peste earlier, and you guys did the amazing cover of Spymaster on that, which has been covered by a lot of other people ever since. Um, did You never saw Spy. You never got this. La Peste, you probably were too young. You didn't get to see them, right? No, no. Well, how did you find out about them? From college radio? Yeah, like college radio and... They were um, in the Rock and Roll Rumble, so that was broadcast live, and that was pretty good. With the uh, with the neighborhoods, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I wish I would have seen that. Um, so yeah, we kind of made the the, the Spymaster our own. Uh, it was engineered by Tom Hamilton, who did did uh, Lemonheads and and stuff for Tang, pretty much, and. Um, I forget where he got that like shortwave radio thing at the beginning, like do, 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 like all that static. But yeah, that's what we wanted to. Um, I don't know to add add to it, give it that that effect that it's like a transmission, spy transmission. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you um, as far as kill, kill, kill goes, did you guys do a lot of shows when that record came out? Were you playing a lot at that time? Yeah, and things were um, not as intense. I mean, we had some good shows at The Rat. Um... Nineteen eighty four, our final show was at the Paradise, and Springer um, did a, did a how much art with us. We played how much art. Wow, really? And Springer declared it as the end of hardcore. So ah, it was the end of 1984. It's at the Paradise. Springer uh, declared at the end of hardcore. People <laughs> are like, I remember seeing young kids like, oh, what? You know. <laughs> but well, it was time appropriate because everything started to kind of change. And so Rick went off to school, um, or he was in t intense training or whatever. So he he, did, he wasn't available to play music. So um, we got, but then he had the itch, like in 1986, he kept uh, calling me up. He's like, Pop, I got all these songs. I'm like, okay. So uh, we started jamming again. And our thing was, we're, the promo thing was cured 1986. Jerry's Kids cured 1986. So, and then 
by 87, we had some decent shows. We played the Rat. We'd set up like TV, a TV set to show like video stuff that was appropriate for the Kill, Kill, Kill. Like on the cover of Kill, 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 that actually comes from um, some like B movie called Nightmare. Um, kid chops off someone's head with an axe. Yeah, violence. Violence sells, I guess. <laughs> um, I wanted to switch topics here for a second here and just move ahead. And then we'll. I want to talk to you about the Boston Hardcore Reunion. But before we get to that, I'm pretty sure this is before that. You spent some time playing with Gang Green. And if I'm not mistaken, did, didn't did you do the, the West Coast tour when they opened for the Dropkick Murphys? Uh, no. Oh, you didn't? Okay, so when you played with Gang Green, you just did local shows, or did you tour with them? No, that all? was that was that was like the mid two thousands, like two thousand three or four. Yeah, all the way up to two thousand six, and I went on tour to Europe with with them. Europe, okay. Yeah. I knew you did some tour dates with them. What was that like for you playing with with Gang Green? Um, the, the fuel was a little different, you know. <laughs> so, Walter, uh, you know, Walter Augustuson. From oh, yeah, Walter, of course. Yeah, let's see, he played drums. He's such a fun guy. So he was the, the happy drinking guy, and Chris was the, the barroom brawl type guy. Who was you know? on bass for that tour? What's that? Who was playing bass during that time? Oh, Matt Sandinato, a uh, good friend. Oh, Matt. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a good bunch of guys right there. So we had lots of fun. Um, I started a new job at the time, so I was like, I can only do half this tour. I'm not going to. So they had Mike Girls, who was on previous recordings, um, come in for the second half of the tour. So it was like a changing of the guards, which actually turned into my exit. So... I was done after that. Um, in 2010, I was lucky for this. I ended up getting getting to that show because I was kind of I got interviewed by those guys when they did the Boston compilation. I thought Jerry's Kids, with no disrespect to the other bands that day, because everyone was great, but I thought you guys were the the best band of the day. A lot of people say that. Well, what 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 was that experience like for you? That must have really been a special thing for you to do that show. It was awesome to see a lot of people at a, a show. It reminded me of like the channel back in the day, you know. And uh, I made sure we had T-shirts, and a lot, a lot of people were buying T-shirts. That was nice, you know. Um, saw some faces that we haven't seen for a while, you know. Um, it was a good local show. It was it was spectacular, I thought. Yeah, everyone was there, man. Uh, was it hard to go back to playing at that high level of speed all those years later? Because you guys were pretty fast that night. Yeah, we um we take playing out seriously. So, you know, we're not just going to pick up the phone and be like, oh, yeah, we can play next weekend. And, if, you know, we're not rehearsing all the time, so... We need like to to play out. We need like um, six to eight weeks of rehearsing. Really? So yeah, and this is 
not just once a week. Like it could be twice a week as we get closer to the date. Or Rick and Jack would would rehearse on their own because I live on the North Shore. It's a, kind of like an hour drive to get to where they where they want to jam. So yeah, it takes it takes a lot of a um, lot of commitment. Uh, we tried to bring Brian back in. Um, in the 20 teens, you know, so. Were you uh, surprised at the level of the high level of all the bands that day at the hardcore reunion show? Cause everyone played really great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought DYS sounded really good. They had some, uh, they had some good, um, good amps. Uh, they sounded powerful. Jack played with both bands that day, right? Yeah. Yeah. He did good. Yeah. Were you happy were you happy with the hardcore the the Boston hardcore movie? Did you get to see it? With the all ages? Thing? Yeah. Yeah, when they came around to to me to to film me, I was um you know, I'm I'm in I'm interested in playing other types of music and, and um I had like a solo show at at a place and they were going to meet me there and stuff and I, I was just thinking about what i was going to play and so they're asking me all these questions like from 35 years ago and i'm just like uh thank god springer was there to kind of to lighten the mood but i i that's why if you see me in that film i'm not really saying anything it's just like bob sensi and, and they, misspelled <laughs> my name. they misspelled my name too uh, oh, that's great uh, you know what I didn't ask you that I forgot to ask you about the early days is what was your impression uh, when you guys came out and you started getting involved with Gallery East and you heard about the Boston crew? I mean, because you guys are obviously different than those guys, but was it easy to mingle with them back then or was it kind of a, a weird situation because they had their whole gang kind of vibe going on? Yeah, when you're in a place that you you're not used to, you want to kind of feel things out. Um, so I remember seeing Jack Kelly choke skinhead. Well, he had hair like a skinhead, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if he was a skinhead. You know, Al, it's kind of intimidating, the, the bald heads. And and uh, even the dance was a little more mil militant, I, I think, you know. That's what it seemed like. It was more like, <laughs> like where before we're just like kind of pogoing and hip checking, you know? Like so um and I remember being at the um the media workshop and I was standing right next to Jake Phelps. He 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 had no hair. I don't know if he was a skinhead, um, but he was wearing this wrist homemade wristband that was all nails and he's like kind of bumping into me i'm like oh boy i better move <laughs> <laughs> so, wow yeah i mean when i think of gang green and jerry's kids i don't think of straight edge that's for sure it does it the yeah, two <laughs> visually like seeing the straight edge or this you know the 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 look you know the, the look it is a little intimidating, but once you get to talking, it's just like regular, you know, regular people. And Al's very nice. I mean, 
I am so grateful for Al because he he would show up on Newbury Street and um, in his van and he let us all, uh, you know, kids are hanging out. He let a bunch of kids pile into his van. We all went to New York to see the Bad Brains at CB's. Oh, you were the, you were on one of their trips with them. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was unbelievable. That, that was like the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Was uh, Bad Brains at CBGB's. Wow, what? So that must have been like eighty one or eighty two. Eighty two, yeah. Wow. So when they moved to New York from DC, what? Yeah, so um, HR did a backflip, like they. They did this music interlude thing. They went that sped up. Boom! And he did like a backflip. And right when the boom hit, he landed on his feet. Wow, incredible! I saw Bad Brains, but not that early. I got to see him eye against eye a little bit later than that. Um, I wanted to talk to you about some. Like I know you've gone through different phases of music like kind of almost rockabilly and things like that over the years. But it seems like you've kind of returned to punk now. Um, almost gone. I know you put put that out in March 2020, I think. And you had a couple singles off of that. You got Bob from uh, the FU's playing drums. Yes. Earth Dog on bass. Do I know Earth Dog? <laughs> um, probably not. He's from D.C., and actually, he just left the band. So we, we have a new new bassist. His name's Ed Lynch. Ed Lynch. So we, have some, we have some gigs coming up. So yeah, Earth Dog is Sean Knipkin. I can't. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But anyway, he he um he moved on. He would have, he had to drive like an hour to rehearse. So Ed's a lot closer. So. When did you start getting back into like full on like playing more punk songs and stuff? Well, with, with that band, everything I do, it's like people want to see Jerry's Kids. And I tell people I'm playing out, they're like, Jerry's Kids? It's <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> every other word is Jerry's Kids. So it's it's kind of hard. But anyway, in 2015, I wanted to do punk and I wanted it to sound like um, punk from the early 80s, like right when hardcore was kind of getting seeped in, like the music gets a little harder and faster. So that's what I was shooting for with that. So it's just, it's called Rock and Bob um, Punk Band. I know, I saw that. It's good. And I call it that name because um, it's not, because I was doing a lot of acoustic stuff. It's not Rock and Bob Acoustic, it's Rock and Bob Punk Band. <laughs> Oh, when we play out, I go, I'm rocking Bob and these guys are punk bands and we're going to play. And, you know, like, so, so it's fun. Um, I made sure that, um, you know, the, the tunes had some good lyrics, catchy tunes, like early 80s set style punk that's kind of kick ass and not, and not um, too much, not, not too heavy, you know. Kind of, kind of like, um, you know, there's the change in music where, you know, we're playing hardcore. They like songs. They had verses and choruses. And then I think SSD kind of started to change that. It's more like just this power, you know, like, so they changed up the formula. 
What's the voodoo the voodoo lodge? What is that like your own recording studio or this uh friend that lives nearby, his name's Niff. He has had had a band, he's been in a bunch of bands, but the band I know him mostly from is the Silver Screams. Okay. And, and Earth Dog was the bass player for that band as well. Oh, okay. So we we he had a studio in his house. I was I checked out all these tunes again uh the last few days and I was reading the lyrics. You got some pretty outrageous lyrics. You wrote all those lyrics, right? Yes, yeah. Uh what's going on with the song Private Jacks? I read those lyrics several times and I was trying to figure it out because I really love that song. I just don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's kind of like um Kind of like how rich people think they know it all or they think that they're going to, what they're doing is always correct. And the, the line in the song is they, they'll, you know, even though the rich guy is breaking the law, you know, they'll never catch the private, private jet, you know, it's like they're above the rest. They're, they're not first class. They're above that, you know, like, um, they'll, they'll, it's like, uh, I don't know if you noticed the image on on that for that song. There's a <clears throat> a plane with the fuselage is, is disconnected. Yeah, yeah, I see so that. If, if you look at the shadow that's in there, I took I took Donald Trump's profile, and his profile <laughs> is that shadow. I see that now. Wow. So he's like, you know, he's like looking out the plane going, oh, we lost the fusel fuselage. Oh, well. You know, like, he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he just cares about him. And, you know, they'll never catch a private jet. So. Do you it's feel like... like he's making fun of rich people. Um, You said before that whenever you play shows, people, I was like, you're doing Jerry's Kids. Like, you know, it's complimentary, but you want people to, to hear you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. Like, I'll play Lost and... Bob's not really into playing Jerry's kids, but he's coming around. So we'll, we'll be adding more stuff. So I want to, I want to at least do stuff that I've written, like uh, build me a bomb. Um, Lost. We're probably going to do spy master. Um, that's, that's enough. Really. That's cool. Yeah, you do. I like your stuff, man. It's great. Um, I wanted to ask you some general questions. Like when you, I did when you were like as a guitar player, like do you have guitar players that you looked up to back when you were young or, or maybe that's changed as the years gone on? I mean, there are people, I mean, your style is like, you know, you're a really fast, you know, guitar player in the early days, but you can play a lot of different styles. People that don't, I've heard a lot of your different kinds of, you know, rockabilly and everything you've done. And you're very stylistically. Is there specific guitar players that you that you really like? James Williamson from the Stooges. Yeah. Um, Greg Ginn from Black Flag. And um, I also like uh, a lot of like blues players, too. So. Greg Ginn, that's interesting that you would pick Greg because he's all over the place, man. I mean, when he when he was first when I first heard about Black Flag in eighty two or three or whatever, 
I just thought his playing was like so off the wall and progressive, you know, that it was cool. How did you like how it went along when Kiera was in the band and they went got more experimental? Did you like that stuff too? I didn't go beyond damaged. Okay, so you didn't fall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I keep looking for all the other stuff. Yeah. In fact, I don't really buy records. I just stream music. I just look stuff up and listen to it. I was going to ask you that. Is there any new stuff that comes out these days that's got your attention? You know, you think something's new and it ends up being like 10 years old. Like I sent you a link to James Williamson doing yeah. uh, doing one, one of my favorite tunes, I, I Gotta Write. And he's got some singer. Um, I mentioned her name in the email, so I gotta look. Kur, Kur, Lisa Kurilek was a weird yeah, name. Yeah, if, if you got a chance, listen to it. The vocals are just. I did. It's so great. Awesome. Yeah. So you well, like the you like the James Williamson version of the Stooges? I I imagine more so. Um, no, I, mean, I have. I have, I like both, you know, it's just cool to hear someone that had a song so long ago and he calls it relicked. So he's like revamping the song in his own way with other people. And it's just kind of cool because he's more of a, more, he's, he's older and he's more developed more as a player. And, um, and then he's got this awesome vocalist. What, What was her name again? Le- um, I'd have to look that up, but it was Lisa K-, K, something like that. You did send it to me, and I did check it out, and I was like, "Wow, it's pretty cool." I will, yeah, absolutely. Is there like you said, you don't you you stream, you don't buy records or anything like that? Do you have a record collection, or you just? I do, yeah, I do have a record collection. Um, do you have an original copy of uh, "Is This My World" on vinyl? I do. I have, a, I have a, one that's unopened. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's so. valuable. <laughs> but mostly, you you listen to Spotify and stuff. Yeah, like YouTube, Spotify. Cool. Is there I any like band- old stuff? Is there any bands that are coming out these days that you're interested in, like newer bands? I, I don't. I'm. I'm not on it. I don't. I can't think of anything right now. So, so what about upcoming gigs? You're going to play some gigs with the new band? Yeah, um, the punk band is just started rehearsing again. We have a new bass player. We're going to play the Midway in September, and then we're going to play. Um, Nantasket Beach in October for this festival called Recoween. Cool. Is your stuff only going to be available streaming now on Bandcamp, or do you plan on putting any physical copies out? Uh, the punk band has that has it in CD. The the EP already in CD. There is a CD. Nice. Yeah. So, so people like, at our shows, you can get a CD. Awesome. It's not really being distributed. <laughs> All right, um, Bob. Hey, thanks a lot, man, for taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate it, man. Oh. All right. <laughs> oh, is there something else that you had to say that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about? <laughs> no, it's just uh, my son came home and it's a nice summer day out there. Well, go enjoy it, man. 
Yeah, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. All right, Bob. All right, thanks. Rockin' Bob Punk Band. You can get that entire EP, which is called Almost Gone, on Bandcamp. It's a good one. Uh, thank you, Bob. I know we had problems scheduling and everything, but I'm glad that we got to talk to each other. Rockin' Bob Sensi. All right. Please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico and also our Spotify podcast page. You can subscribe on both of these and you'll be doing us a lot of good if you subscribe to the podcast. If you want to reach out to me and ask me any questions, twistedrico at gmail.com. We're on all the social media platforms, even threads. <laughs> uh, I urge you to check out the YouTube page. Unfortunately, this show is not on YouTube, but many of our other ones are. And also been putting a lot of cool clips up on TikTok. Want to once again thank Spectacle Eyewear, Joe's Albums, and the heart and soul of this very show, Baby Loves Tacos, for their continued support. Thank you so much for listening. Till the next time we say goodbye, this is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Keep the rock and roll alive. <laughs>